Well, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we're kicking off a new series called The Gift. And where over the next three weeks, we are going to look at the most famous gifts in Christmas history. The three gifts that the wise men gave to the baby Jesus. See, it's recorded in Matthew 2, 10 and 11. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here's some context on this scene if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the story. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a group of wise men, sometimes called magi, they traveled a great distance to worship the baby Jesus. Okay, Christmas time trivia here. Okay. How many wise men were there? Now, you're, you're probably thinking three. You know, we don't actually know. The Bible never says how many wise men there were. We assume it's three because they presented three gifts. It could have been two. It could have been a dozen. We don't know. But here are some of the things that we do know about these, these wise men. They would have been highly educated, possibly the most educated people in their region. They were very wealthy, and they were desperate to meet the one that could be the savior of the world. See, they were so overjoyed at finding and seeing the baby Jesus, that this group, upon arrival of rich, wealthy men, bowed down on the ground in front of a carpenter, a teenage girl, and a baby. They bowed down, and then they gave him gifts. They gave this nobody couple in a backwater town, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, not only were these gifts incredibly practical, but they were also very valuable. They were also deeply spiritual. See, they foreshadowed some of the images and roles that adult Jesus would mean and play for them and everybody. So the gold represented the kingship of Jesus. The myrrh, which we're going to talk about next week, represented Jesus as a suffering servant. And today we're going to talk about frankincense. So frankincense is a tree resin, kind of like sap. And it's very aromatic. And see, if there, and if there are any essential oil folks out there, then you might know that frankincense is like the Swiss Army knife of essential oils. People use it for all kinds of stuff. People use it for, for anxiety, inflammation, immunity, super speed, invisibility, telekinesis, and male pattern baldness. <laughs> at least according to the lady at Mong Village. 
And 2,000 years ago, frankincense was primarily used for medicinal purposes. And we all know how often babies get sick. So this is a great gift for a new mom. You might think like diapers, wipes, oh, that little snot-nose sucker thingy. Oh, this is great. This is an incredibly valuable gift because they got the gold and they could buy all that stuff later. And so, so this was a very expensive and very practical gift. And, and it was great because it would help heal sicknesses and heal wounds. See, but there was one other way that frankincense was used back then. The priest would burn it as an incense. It's literally right there in the name, frankincense. So the priests in the temple would burn frankincense as part of their offerings. And, and they would burn the incense, and the smoke would rise up. And these would represent the prayers of the people rising up to heaven. And because of this usage, frankincense was symbolic of the promise as Jesus, the promise of Jesus as our high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, the priest served as the mediator between people and God. There stood the priest. And the priest's function was primarily divided into two parts. That first, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And second, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of the people. And so we're going to focus in on that first one, offering sacrifices. And see, now, I, I recognize that this idea of offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. Sin isn't a very popular term nowadays, okay? Because now it's, it's more about you do what you want. You do you. Live your truth. Who are you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong? Humans, we all make mistakes, but we aren't inherently bad, and especially not inherently evil. The idea of sin is, is a tool of the patriar patriarchy that it's outdated and it's used to oppress people and especially women. But is that really what sin is all about? Because here's the challenge. If you have a casual view of sin, you will never feel a need for Jesus as your high priest because you have nothing that needs forgiven. Since the beginning of time, there's been a conflict between two forces. The holiness of God on one hand and the sinfulness of humans on the other. And nowhere is this conflict illustrated more clearly than the Jewish holiday called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. See, once a year, the high priest would offer a sacrifice they would kill an innocent animal as a temporary payment for the sins of all the people. See, they would go into the innermost sanctuary of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And they would light the frankincense. And these, the, the smoke would rise and these would represent the cries and the prayers of the people. Then the priest would sprinkle the blood of the animal on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat. And this would be the death of an innocent animal in place 
of the guilty ones as a just payment for their sins. So next up gets even stranger. Have you ever heard of a scapegoat? Well, this term came from what happens next. The high priest would take an innocent goat and symbolically transfer the sins of all the people onto the goat. And then the people would drive the goat out into the wilderness, symbolically separating their sins from them, from the community. This, this animal literally was the first escape goat. Now, can I just pause at this point and just say, this is weird. Can we all just acknowledge that? That an animal gets killed and its blood gets poured out and sprinkled here and sprinkled there. And then, and that's supposed to fix people's mistakes. It's violent. It's kind of gross. And it seems completely unfair to this innocent little animal to be dying for somebody else. It feels downright barbaric. Why? Why on earth is this the way it's supposed to be done? Well, two reasons. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of humans. The holiness of God on one hand and the sinfulness of humans on the other. See, because God is perfectly just, he must punish sin. And that's something we all can understand. We all want justice. We have seen injustice happen and we want that punished. And when it doesn't, we get angry and people riot. We understand justice. We want wrongdoing punished. We want sin punished. Well, except maybe our sin. We want that forgiven. So we understand the idea of justice, that wrongdoing has to be punished. And if God were not to punish sin, he would be an evil, vile God. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of humans. And see, that's the beauty of what God chose. Because God is merciful. He is full of mercy and abounding in love. There's a beauty in the sacrificial system. Because the sacrifice satisfies God's justice. Sin is paid for. But it also extends mercy to those that committed the sin. The penalty for sin is paid, but someone else pays the price. So God's holiness and justice are satisfied, and yet he extends mercy to the people he loves so much. But see, there's a problem with these Old Testament sacrifices. They were only temporary. That's why the, 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 the priests offered sacrifices every day. 
every week, every year, because they were only temporary solutions. But under the new covenant, under the new promise of Jesus, there is a new and better way to deal with sin. There is a new and better way to reconcile the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humans. Here's how Hebrews 10 describes it. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for him uh, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So how are we made holy? By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, once and for all. See, under the old covenant, priests would sacrifice every day, every week, over and over and over again, because the sacrifices were only a temporary solution. But our high priest, Jesus, he offered himself as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time and all people who call on his name. He was both high priest and sacrifice. He offered his innocent, sinless life, life as a covering for our sin, satisfying the justice of God and extending mercy to God's people, his creation. You, me. And that's what's represented when the wise men approached him and presented frankincense on the ground in front of the baby Jesus. That Jesus is our better high priest and our better sacrifice. So let me give you a picture of this. Now, I've got a dark shirt on. So I've, I've got a dirty, dark shirt on. I also have terrible fashion sense. If you ever see me wearing anything good, it came from my wife. If you see me looking sloppy, it came from me. So I've got this dark, ugly shirt on, okay? Now, I could clean it. I could throw it in the wash, but it's just going to get dirty again. And I could keep doing that over and over and over again. But it will still be a dark, dirty, ugly shirt, now, imagine if Jesus comes up and he had a perfect shirt on without any stain. Nice, beautiful, white, and holy. A little big on you. Maybe I should have found a Jesus a few inches taller. That's okay. It works. And now imagine if he took off his perfect white shirt and I had the opportunity to take off my dirty, stained shirt. Yeah. 
and I could put on the righteousness of Christ, and he could put on my sinfulness. That is what happens when Jesus is your high priest and Jesus is your sacrifice. Now, for all you theology nerds, this is called double imputation. Jesus' righteousness is put on me, and my sinfulness is put on Jesus. And he died on the cross with my sinfulness. And I live today and forever in Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. I am still a sinful person. I will never be fully redeemed until heaven. But when God looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness on me now. And when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw my sin and your sin. And Jesus died to pay the penalty for that sin. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus... Your frankincense burning, sacrifice offering, paying the price himself, high priest, sacrificed his life, taking on your sin so that you could put on his righteousness. It's not yours. Never forget that. The righteousness you wear is not yours, it's none of ours. It is Jesus's. And if you believe in Jesus as your high priest, when God looks at you, he sees the glory and the righteousness and the purity of Jesus, the sinless Jesus. That's what God sees when he looks at you, when you believe in Jesus as your high priest. See, this high priest, Jesus, gave his life, satisfying God's justice and simultaneously extending mercy. Jesus is our high priest, and that is what the gift of frankincense at Christmas means. But there's one more. There's one more part to the story. See, Jesus isn't a distant, detached, untouchable high priest. Now, if you are a part of a hierarchical power distance culture, and if you're Hmong, you are. But if you're part of a power distance culture, chances are you see somewhere in you, when you think of Jesus as your high priest, he is too far out there. He's too far above you. He's way more important than you. He's way, more, he's way busier. He's way more significant than you. You shouldn't bother him. And there's a good chance that's somewhere in you. That's how you see Jesus. And if this is you, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, has some of the best news you're going to hear all day. Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why can we hold firmly to the faith? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So what difference does this make? What does this change? Everything. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus understands it. Whatever you're going through as you're sitting here listening, as you're watching from home, as you're listening online, whatever you're going through right now, Jesus understands it. He relates to your trials. He sympathizes with your pain. He knows what you're going through. Judged by your family, so is he in Nazareth. Feeling anxiety, overwhelmed, so is he in the Garden of Gethsemane. Rejected, abandoned, so is he by his own disciples. He was criticized, ridiculed, bullied. He was tempted by evil. He experienced the death of a close friend. He was wrongly accused. People saw him as a failure. Whatever you feel, he felt. Wherever you hurt, he hurts. He is a great high priest who can empathize with whatever you're going through right now. And that gives us an amazing promise that we can approach him. I once heard a pastor use an analogy of uh, comparing Jesus to the king of Thailand. And you wouldn't wear like ratty old jeans to visit the king of Thailand. You would wear your best clothes. So you should wear your best clothes to church. And you know what? That's a, that's a good analogy and a terrible analogy. Because Jesus is our king, but he is not like the king of Thailand. He is not like the king of an African country. He is a king who stepped off his throne to be born as a baby in a manger. He is a great high priest, the greatest, highest of the priests. But we can walk right on up to that throne. And you know, and I bet if we needed it, we could sit, we could sit on his lap on that throne. Because we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can approach the throne of grace boldly because he understands us. He empathizes with you. 
so you can approach Jesus confidently. Not fearfully, not guiltily, not shyly, but confidently with boldness. And if we do that, if we approach God with confidence, we approach Jesus on the throne with confidence, an amazing thing happens. We receive the gifts of grace and mercy right when we need it the most. We receive gifts right when we need it the most. When you want to give up, Here's the gift of strength and hope. When you feel broken and wounded, here's the gift of healing. When you feel condemned by your sin, here's the gift of forgiveness. When we need it most, exactly what we need most, at the exact time we need it the most, Jesus gives it. He gives his gifts of grace and mercy because we can approach the throne throne with confidence. I hope you understand this. It's easy to think to be able to approach a little baby in a crib with confidence, even for first-time parents who are freaking out over the whole thing. But we can approach the throne of Jesus with confidence because he is good, he is empathetic, and he is a great high priest who burns frankincense for our prayers and he offers sacrifices for our sins because he is our great high priest. So today, I want to give you a chance to approach the throne. We're going to take a few minutes here, and and, and I'm going to ask the band if they can come up and play a little background music. And this is the first time they're hearing that, so they're collectively freaking out right now. But thank you for adapting. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to approach the throne of Jesus confidently and receive some gifts from him. I don't know what you need to receive from Jesus today, but he does. And all you have to do is approach the throne. I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Let's dim the house lights a bit. So I want you to picture yourself. This is going to be a visual exercise. I want you to picture yourself approaching a throne and Jesus is on that throne and as you come closer I want you to take off your sin if you want picture yourself taking off your shirt don't be doing that in service okay picture yourself taking off your sin and giving it to Jesus and let him give you something new Let him give you something glorious and pure to put on. A shirt 
a robe. Take his righteousness on you as you are standing before his throne. And let him hand you this beautiful, glowing, white clothes. And then put that on. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to do this. Close your eyes and approach the throne of confidence.
Jesus, thank you. You are a great, great high priest. We can approach you like a daddy. You are the priest who prays for us. You are the priest who interceded for us and intercedes still. And you are the sacrifice that allowed us to receive righteousness. That we are not trapped in our sin. We are not condemned by our sin. But we are forgiven in you. Help us, Lord. Help us this Christmas understand this. Let us approach you boldly. I, I pray in the name of Jesus against anything that keeps us from not being able to approach you. I pray against fear in the name of Jesus. I pray against condemnation in the name of Jesus. I pray against pride in the name of Jesus. I pray against apathy in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we receive your peace. We receive your goodness. We receive your righteousness. We receive your confidence. We receive your sonship, your daughtership. We receive you, Jesus. And we can pray in your name because you intercede for us. So we pray in the name of the great high priest, Jesus. Amen.